Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Would you please open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 18. We'll read through to verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 18. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. But now, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul is trying to bring unity to the church. He's working hard on it. And the disunity, the division in the church that he's dealing with here is the division over spiritual gifts. Earlier, he's dealt with the division caused by uh, those who refuse to acknowledge the distinctions that there are between family and not family, and so they were committing incest. They didn't want to have to deal with the distinction of God has between families and those who are not families. God says we're not to have sex with our families, okay? And so there's division in the body. There was division in the body because some of them were very, very superior to other people because they had more learning and a better vocabulary and more degrees. Are you with me? And so the Apostle Paul just nails the issue of intellectual pride. It's creating division, you know? What's the purpose of having a better mind and a better vocabulary if it isn't to serve the body by bringing peace and unity? And so the Apostle Paul keeps going through these things. Some of them were rich, some were poor. At the Lord's table, the ones that were rich were getting drunk, and they were completely fat. Well, the poor had nothing to drink or eat. So he keeps moving through all the things that they're fighting over and that are being used to cause division. Good things, but being used to cause division. He hits the issue of manhood and womanhood. The women are refusing to be number two to man's number one. And so they're getting up and they're whooping up on the man and they're refusing to cover their heads and they're just, I am woman, hear me roar in numbers too big to ignore. Right? And he says, listen, women, Man is the glory of God, woman is the glory of man. I mean, if there's ever a statement that establishes that man is number one and woman number two, that's it. Man is the glory of God, woman is the glory of man. I mean, can we escape that? No, we can't escape that, right? 
And no, I'm not going to stop here and try and tell all you women that actually you're really equal to man. I mean, the Apostle Paul's an idiot. Because that would be to sacrifice the normal on the altar of the abnormal. Do you understand me? If I stop and try to flatter you women so that you can be all you're meant to be, remember Virginia Mollencott, Letha Scanzoni used to live here in Bloomington, and they, you know they, this book called All We're Meant to Be. You know, if I if I stand up in front of you and I say this, I say, you know, I'm tired of hearing what women can't do in the church. Can we finally talk about what women can do? As if there's ever been a church in the history of the world that doesn't have women doing everything. (laughs) Everything. I mean, the real issue in America today is not whether we can say what women can do. The real issue is can we get men to do anything? (laughs) The first church I served, I think all the elders were women, right? Maybe there was one man, but he wasn't much of a man. And the women were men, let me tell you that. They told me constantly everything that was wrong with me. They constantly told me everything that was wrong with me. The Apostle Paul is trying to bring unity to the church. And so he he hammers the distinctions that God has created. And then he says those distinctions are to be used for the peace and unity of the church. We will never establish peace in the church by denying the distinctions God has made. If we have fathers intimate with their daughters, there will not be peace in the home. And incest was in the church. That was part of the division. If we have the intellectuals with a large vocabulary of published books looking down their noses at the west side of Bloomington, eh? Okay? At people that shop at Walmart, eh? They're at Target, right? And we're picking our noses in Walmart. There will not be peace in the church. If the blacks are looking down on the whites, because whites can't jump, and the whites are looking down on the blacks because blacks can't dance, (laughs) he didn't mention blacks, did he? Oh, I'm sorry, African Americans, but we only have one African American in this church, and he's white. (laughs) And that's Lucas Weeks. If you go to Africa, you'll know where Lucas learned to sashay as he walks. Because everybody in Africa sashays. He is an African-American, and D. Wayne is not. (laughs) Yes, D. Wayne is black. Now listen, God has ordained distinctions, okay? He has ordained poor and rich, Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere. He has ordained educated and uneducated. He's ordained fat and thin. Mary Lee's family despises my adiposity. 
they think that this is the most fundamental indication of moral turpitude. That I am inferior as a human being because I'm fat. Tell them it's true. But I know Mary Lee because I've been married to her now for over 40 years. And she can eat as much fudge as she wants. And it don't matter. And that's the way her whole family is. They could sit at a banquet table from the time they're born to the time they die and they'll never put on a pound. And all the men need suspenders. Fat, thin, short, tall, hard of hearing, great acuity in hearing, 20-20 and whatever the bad is, diabetes, okay, cystic fibrosis, hemophilia, hep C, asthma, and I can go on and on and on to the ways that you and I are divided with some of us having liabilities and some of us having assets. And every single distinction that God has ordained between us, we use to establish our superiority over other people. Okay? We are idol-making machines, and the first idol we make is ourselves. Every positive attribute that we have, by God's distinctions, we make into something that we should be worshipped for. We try to make everybody else in the church in our image because we think what the world needs is everybody to be us. I know you say I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong, I'm right. That's why some men walk around in the church like this. And what they're doing is they're saying, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm humble, 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 humble. don't look at me, don't look at me. And you know, because you're not that way, that the one thing that person is absolutely committed to is to oppressing you with his humility. Because the man in the middle of a bunch of other people who's sitting there saying, I'm nothing and I'm no one and I ain't here, is far and away the loudest person in the room. Because he's the person everybody has to spend all their time flattering and coddling and just being real nice to because he's so humble. So the humble person uses his weakness to oppress the normal person. Right? Come on, come on, come on, give me some love. I need love. The old person oppresses us with their age. What do all old people do? We all tell lots of stories, and you've heard them a hundred times. And you're supposed to listen to our stories and act like you're interested. And the young people have no story, but they still oppress us with their stories because they repeat every single movie they've ever seen, the entire plot. I mean, we made a choice not to go to the movie, but we have to hear the whole thing from them. <laughs> Drives me bonkers. The fat people look down on the thin people. Why? The thin people look down on the fat people. And what we read is that when the disciples knew that Jesus was at the end of his life, he had told them over and over again, 
that this was the end and he would now suffer. And nobody had any confusion how he would suffer because everybody knew that the Jewish leaders had been plotting his death. And so Jesus told him over and over again, I'm about to die. I am about to suffer and die. I am about to die. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the Jews. I'm going to die. They could see the hatred. They love Jesus. Trust me, they love Jesus. And they know that he's about to begin to suffer and he's going to die. And in that situation, they celebrate Christmas, Easter, and Thanksgiving, which is what the Passover was. You know how tender a holidays they are? So here they are, they love each other, been together with each other night and day for three years. Itinerant ministry. It's at the end. He said he's going to suffer and die. They're celebrating the Passover meal together. Imagine the intimacy. Imagine how heavy the atmosphere was. And it was right then that we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, and there arose also a dispute among them. As to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. Doesn't that sound like a good way to use the last few minutes you have with Jesus? And listen, I know you know I'm capable of that, but I want to tell you, you are not just capable of that, you would have done that. I would have done that. If 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 Frank and I had been there with Jesus in the upper room, there would have been posturing going on between us as to which of us was the greatest. He would have said he's a master gardener, and I would have said, I have two and a half acres. And George would have said, yeah, but I get fruit. <laughs> Isn't that weird? All three of us right here. So the Apostle Paul starts. He goes through intellectual pride. He says, this is a gift given to us to glorify God, and we shouldn't use it to look down on each other. The Apostle Paul goes to male and female. He says, look, you're not going to have peace and order in your church if you women are rebelling against God creating you second and not first. So would you please wear a sign of authority on your heads? Would you please stop whooping up on the men? Then he moves on and he says, look, we cannot have this situation that's at the Lord's Supper. It would be better if you didn't take the Lord's Supper at all than that you do the things you're doing at the table. Okay? There's not unity. Well, yeah, there's not unity because in, in chapter 5 he dealt with incest. And he said, you guys have incest going on there and you're proud. So they come to the table and there's intellectual pride. There's rebellion against sex, man and woman, in the order God's established. There's incest. And then at the table, right at the table, there's drunkenness. And other people have nothing to drink. And then he moves on. The next chapter, he says, and furthermore, the spiritual gifts God's given you are being used in a way that is creating division in the church. And he goes in this extended metaphor, parable, allegory of the body. And he uses the body, the human body, as a placeholder for the body of Christ, which is us assembled together. And he keeps riffing on this theme, okay? He's playing a lead solo on the theme of the 
necessity of unity in the body of a person and of the body of Christ. And he just keeps playing and playing and playing on. And we're in the middle of it. And what we've gotten to today is, in what we studied before, he said, the eye can't say, you know, to the ear, or the foot can't say to the eye, that I'm worthless because I'm just a foot. But now here he says, the eye can't look down at the foot and say, you're worthless because you're a foot. And that's a placeholder for how we live with each other. The, the poor man hates the rich man, and the rich man hates the poor man. All right? But can you see that there is superiority to the rich man? Now, this is where it gets tense today. Because none of us ever want to admit that there's such a thing as inferiority and superiority in the relationships of anybody. Right? All of life today is an attempt for us to deny that we ever, 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 in any way, practice or even think about inequality about anybody else. Right? And that's because since the French Revolution, there's three gods, liberty, fraternity, and equality, and the greatest of these is equality. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even say the greatest of these is equality. I would say, and there is only equality. And so we are all engaged in what in the Middle Ages they called morality plays, where we're all taking our part in a morality play, showing everybody how virtuous we are. Everywhere we go, we're parading our virtue. And the principal virtue we're parading is one of two things. And you know how we're parading our virtue because it's at those places that we are all fighting with each other. Now, what two places are we all fighting with each other? One is race, Black Lives Matter, and one is sex. We're going to have our first woman president. All right? Everybody's fighting about sex. If you don't know this, wake up and smell the roses. Everybody's fighting about sex. Everybody's fighting about sex. Remember how a couple weeks ago I said that the pastor is treated with special honor because the pastor is the one that is shameful and makes everybody mad, right? And so we treat him with special honor because he has to get up front and say things that we want to spit on him for. Well, where have I been spit on more? Where am I hated more than on the issue of sexuality? So is it that there's something wrong with me? And there's much wrong with me. Well, no. If we're going to hate anybody, it's sexuality. We're going to hate them on. You know, what is a biblical person in America today? He's homophobic and a hater. And he does hate speech. Right? And what do you know about somebody that accuses everybody else of being hateful? Well, a thief thinks everyone steals. The people that are accusing Christians of being haters are haters. Who do they hate? They hate anybody that associates shame with homosexuality. Okay? And so the two places our culture is constantly fighting are sexuality and race, right? Can we all just agree to that? 
Those are the places where everybody's blood pressure goes up and therefore those are the places where we're constantly trying to parade what? Our virtue. And so we say stupid things. Like we say, some of my best friends are black. Some of my best friends are gay. That's the morality play. We're establishing our virtue. And nobody takes a comment like that seriously. You know, has anybody ever said when somebody says, some of my best friends are gay, oh, really, would you introduce me to them, please? No. It's a placeholder for his virtue, and you don't take it seriously. If you were to ask him to introduce you to his gay friends, he'd get angry at you. Because it's a placeholder. It's public virtue paraded so that he can get a pass on that idol of our culture. So the Apostle Paul is dealing with people just like you and me. They live in a cosmopolitan environment where they're denying every distinction and whatever distinctions they happen to have, they're establishing themselves as superior through those distinctions. Okay? If you're a woman, there's no question in my mind you look down on every man. That's what women do. If you're a man, there's no question in my mind, you look down on every woman. That's what men do. I hate to say this, but I loved Hillary Clinton's comment in the debate where race came up and she basically said we're all racist. And I thought, I've been waiting my whole life to hear somebody say that. And I'm not going to rob Hillary Clinton of being the first one that was willing to say that publicly. <laughs> you know? It was glorious, you know? We are all racist. We are all sexist. Okay, get over it. Now work on it. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, look, you're all racist, you're all sexist, you're all speciest, you're all iest, you're all little fingerish, you're all humilitist. You know, the whole thing about humility today is utterly disgusting. Every man today thinks he's humble. And it's pathetic. None of you, I hate to tell you, you're not humble. You're not. Sorry. He says, the body has many parts. He says, if the little finger says to the eye, I don't have any value because I'm just a little finger, does that make it any less the part of the body? No. Okay. And so all these different parts of our body have a place. And the place that you have in the body of Christ is determined by God. Because he says here in the text, what? In verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he, what? Just as he desired. So it's not up to me. It's not up to you. And this is true not just with the, 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 the responsibilities you have in the church. It's not true just with the gifts you have in the church. It's true with every part of you. Even your salvation is because of God's choice and desire. 
okay? We've got to stop having high thoughts of ourselves and begin to have high thoughts of God because you're not going to begin to be grateful as you should be until you see that God is the one that has given you every good and perfect gift. And the little finger is a good and perfect gift. Okay? It's beautiful. It may be it's the only digit on my body that is beautiful. I know my second toe isn't. It's a hammer toe. You know what a hammer toe is? It's too long for the foot. And so it's always up against the shoe, and pretty soon it goes like that, and it just looks like a claw. And if anybody steps on it, it hurts. Right? So we have all these parts of our body, and God has knit our bodies together. And what if the hand were to say, I'm not needed? How would you protect your eye? The eye says to the hand, I don't need you, and you're grinding cement. How are you going to protect your eye? You're using a pickaxe on a, on a boulder. You're busting up a silo. How are you going to protect your eye? You say, well, I can get goggles. You should have been using them anyhow, right? The eye can't exist without the hand. The first thing you do in the morning is you clean out that crud. You wipe away your tears so it doesn't make your mascara run. Oh, I'm sorry, David, I mentioned tears. Think about this. The eye can't live without the hand, and yet which has greater honor? Which are you more tender towards, your hands or your eyes? <laughs> I haven't seen the eye dipping down to protect the hand. But the hand doesn't even need to think about coming up to protect the eye. And so in our bodies, we have all these different parts, right? And all of our parts in our bodies are according to God's design. The church is the same. We have different parts. And those parts are according to God's desire. And we must be content with the part that God made us, and we must be content with the God, part God made others. And we cannot resent them. And we cannot try to make them into who we are. So, for instance, Mike Bowles. Mike Bowles is a builder. And if you've been around Mike Bowles at all in the last few weeks, what is Mike trying to do? Nobody wants to say it. But I'm going to say it. Well, okay, okay. Listen, Tim Bailey... Well, no, I'm not going to use myself. Okay. Um, okay, Jody. <laughs> Jody makes music, right? And in the last couple of months, what is Jody trying to get everybody to do? Jody's trying to get everybody to make music with him. The whole world needs to be aware of the Kickstarter campaign and give money to it and, 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 and every, all, the entire priorities of the church need to be be quiet when they're recording, give them money, and don't make them work at anything but their music, right? That's what you're basically about, right, Jody? I mean, the wives of the men in the band would agree with that, wouldn't they? 
And so what does Mike Bowles do? Well, Mike Bowles is building. Do you think Mike Bowles has any patience whatsoever for Jody's music? Now, Mike would be up here and he'd say, wait a second, I gave some money to the Kickstarter campaign. I don't know if he did, but let's just say he did. Well, that doesn't quite cut the slack because you can make a big show of being supportive of somebody at the same time as you tear them down. And Mike Bowles thinks that every man in here should be at the church on Sunday painting the wood that's going to go up on Monday, right? Am, am I right, Bob? Yeah. So what are you going to be doing this afternoon? Huh? I can't hear you. Oh, you did it yesterday? Did you hear that, Mike? Mike's back there going... You know the kind of pressure Mike has Bob under because you can see where it ran. <laughs> Bob was so afraid of not painting that. Now listen, we can talk about the building and Mike's leadership of the building, but you realize there's much more to this church than the building, isn't there? We have people whose marriages are on the rock. We have sexual immorality. We have depression. We have new people who need to be loved. We have people who have filthy homes who need to be helped to make them clean. We have people who don't know English who are in our pastor's college and they need to be treated very tenderly so that they can learn to be a pastor even though they don't know English very well. Comprende? <laughs> See, would you just say yes? You see, this is a body, and the body's parts all make demands of us, don't they? And if the eye says, I am the only thing that matters, everybody service me, what happens to the body? What happens to the body? The body becomes an undifferentiated mass of jello, and it ceases to exist. If I make every one of you be stalwart on the issue of sexuality, it will be a stinking mess of a church. Because that's my repentance. That's, I've, got, I've got an apostolate on that issue because of my sin in that issue. And so we need people who are innocent and sweet about sexuality here, because I'm not. All right? We need women here who love children because there are a lot of women that actually don't. We need women who are patient with their little toddlers because a number of other women aren't. We need people who are old and invalid so they will pray. We need men who can't talk so that a variety of men in the church have to interpret them when anybody wants to talk to them. The body is many parts, many, many parts, and those parts are according to the will of God. If, and it says if they were all one member, where would the body be? You don't have a body if you have only one member. Verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you, right? On the contrary, it's much true that members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Verse 23, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant 
honor and our less presentable members become more presentable. Now guys, uh, yikes. Yes, it is saying what you think it's saying. If you are not capable of immediately knowing what are the less presentable parts of your body, I don't know who to tell you to ask. Because if your husband answers, you won't like him. Every single human body has dishonorable and unpresentable parts. And if you want to know what they are, you know because those are the parts you take extra special care of. Why? Because they're shameful. They're the parts we use to reproduce and the parts we use to get rid of waste. And so when it comes to those parts, what it means when it says we treat them with greater honor and we're more careful with them is that you have two or three layers of clothing at those parts, whereas I only have one layer here. I showed this to our Chinese brothers and sisters in the Sunday school class. I said, if I undo my cuff, right? See, one layer. I undo my cuff and it falls down, no problem. Not so with other places. And so we double up, right? We double up, right? But we don't just double up. We fasten with a belt. And if you're Mike Bowles, belt and suspenders. Okay? Now, is everybody with the Apostle Paul here? He's drawing a comparison right? And he's saying that the church is a body. And so, guess what? This is nasty, but you need to now think what are the less presentable parts of the church. So I want you to turn in your seats and look at the people here and decide who is unpresentable and shameful. <laughs> no, I'm absolutely serious. Without you having that thought process, you cannot begin to understand or obey this exhortation from Scripture. So would you please turn, look at everybody here, and all right, we all agree Bob is less presentable, right? He's in a wheelchair. So now you've got Bob, but it's not sufficient for us to say Bob's less presentable. So turn around and look. Who's unpresentable here? I know, it's Marshall. No, I hate to tell you, it's not you. <laughs> You're tall, you're strong, you're handsome, you don't get to cop weakness, all right? You're a man. All right, so who is it? Uh, gauges will take us sort of down the path, but on some level, some places, gauges actually put you high in the pecking order. So you kind of got this ACDC thing going on here, so you're not, not you. So who is shameful here? Uh, a man that holds a name professorship on the campus of IU, that's getting up there, isn't it? Right? I mean, what? Oh, he says he combed his hair today. Is that? Okay, okay. 
So who is unpresentable here? Now listen, this is the difficulty. The difficulty is that all of us have engaged in the morality play of saying that we are not racist and we're not sexist and we believe in equality and, and we just go on and on and on and on and on. Everything's politically correct. There's nothing said that violates equality today. Nothing. We're just, we're just all convinced that we are morally superior to every generation that came before us and specifically at the point of equality. And so it's impossible for us to look around this church and see where God has made some of us with less honor than others. And so there's no way I can preach the text because you're convinced that you don't need to hear what the Apostle Paul is saying. And every time there's a section of Scripture where you're convinced you don't need to hear it, that's where you need to hear it. You are a racist. You are a human being. To be a human being is to be a racist. Don't give me any of this lie about you not being a racist. You're a racist! Hillary Clinton was right! And you're a sexist. And the most intense sexists in this church are the women. Every woman thinks if we get a woman president, we'll finally be done with all the, all the nasty masculinity that has corrupted diplomatic relations. We'll finally lift gentleness and irenicism up into the place God intended to have it. And then the world will be as one. Imagine. Listen, you have too high an estimate of who you are and what God made you and too low an estimate of everybody else in this church. And sometimes, the right side of you has too high an estimate of its value and looks down too much on the left side of you. That's how, it, that's how innate to the human condition it is that we are proud and that we divide. Okay? And so give it up. Don't think that you don't need to hear what this text says to us, what God, the Holy Spirit, is saying to us here. You do look down at other people in this church. The one who's poor looks down on the rich. The one who's rich looks down on the poor. The one who has calluses on his hands looks down at the one whose hands are soft. The one who has soft hands looks down at those who work for a living. That was kind of sneaky. I shouldn't have said that, but. And this goes everywhere, and we refuse to admit it, and I can show it to you because we refuse to accept the distinctions that God has made between us. We act as if we're blind to them, and we act as if they don't matter. The most basic distinction God has made is between those he has predestined for eternal life, for faith and repentance. And we try to act as if everybody's a Christian. We try to eviscerate the distinction between those who belong to God and those who don't. Where is the word worldling used today? 
Do you even think in terms of worldlings? You know, what Bunyan would refer to those who had no faith as, worldlings. They're people that love this world and the things of this world. But we don't ever have that category because Tim Keller has never stopped telling us not to look down on anyone. <laughs> and so we, we, I'm not going to look down on anyone, so I'm going to deny that some people have been saved by God, born again. Some people are covenant people. Some people have repentance, been given repentance and have faith, and some don't. And so we just, if we just blow that distinction to smithereens and say, well, everything's cloudy until we get into the presence of God, and then he'll be the judge. And meanwhile, I ain't going to judge nothing, nowhere, no how. So we move from God's calling of some and his allowing others to give themselves to their sin. That's that division. Then we move to the next one that God establishes, which is man and woman. It's right there at the moment of conception. He chooses to make some of you women and some of you men. Okay? And we're just, we hate that distinction. We're like, you know? I mean, you know? I mean, you know? You, you know? I mean, you know? And we do everything we can. And this started decades ago where in the church we began to say, you know, everything's so, like, dichotomous. And so I'm going to give my little girl a Tonka truck to play with, you know? And I'm going to give my little boy a doll. I'm going to give my little girl a gun, a rifle. And so you give your little girl a rifle, and she takes the rifle, and she puts it in her arms, and she rocks back and forth. It's a doll. The rifle's become a doll. You give a little boy a doll, and he starts hammering its head against the concrete. It's an enemy. You know, and we just will not accept the distinction. And then a preacher gets up and says, look, throughout all of life, you as a woman are to be treated with special honor by the men. Did you all hear what I just said? As a woman, you are to be treated with special honor by the men. Are you all okay with that? You all okay with that, all you women? You okay with that? Is that not the principle of etiquette? isn't etiquette through the centuries simply the commitment men have to treat women with special honor. Are you all with me? Come on. I know you know I, I got you know I'm going to snooker you, right? Why do we treat you with special honor? Because you are an unpresentable part. Listen, you look at me and you say, aha, we got you. That's exactly what we thought you thought. And I say, okay, 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 quiet down for a second. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male, female, there's slave or free. We're all one in Christ. And you go, yes! Yes, that's what I was trying to say. I say, okay, I just said it. Did you hear me? Yes, finally. I say, okay. Men treat you with special honor because you're a less presentable part. And you say, no! And I say, yes! Both favorites! You say, what on earth do you mean by presentable and unpresentable? 
And I say, well, uh, how about something about like, you know, like maybe sort of, you know, kind of like childbirth. Mm-mm. Can we agree on that one? Okay, what about being created second instead of first? Uh, yikes. Well, that only, that just, that's not, that, I mean, you know, like, you know, that, that, what application does that have to your life if you're single? None! It's only talking about marriage. And yes, you're a man, and so you should preach. I say, really, really? So Adam he created first, and then Eve only has any importance when it comes to the privacy of Christian associations, right? Why is etiquette out in the world then? I mean, by all rights, if the only place a woman is second in position is in the privacy of Christian relations, really etiquette should only be in the church and in the home. We should never hold a door for a woman down at IEO. What kind of patronization is that? Why would we hold a door for a woman at IU when it only has application in the church and the home? Now, why am I talking about sex? Because sex is the foundational distinction that God has made relegating one half of the race to secondary status and the first half of the race to primary status. That's why Paul says that man is the glory of God and woman is the glory of man. Okay? That's why she was created for Adam. That's why Adam named her, even in the name. He gave her the name Isha, and he had the name Ish. Ish, Isha. I mean, even in the sound, you see what's going on here. And yet, in the church today... There's no end to men who say this. Why do we always have to be talking about what women can't do? Can't we talk about what women can do? And it's like, honestly, my life experience is that nobody needs to ask the question what women can do in the church. Because women do everything in the church. In my first church, it was like, they did everything. There were few men in the church. And that's where all churches are going. Men are going to abandon the church because there's no danger anymore. And who needs a man if there's no danger? It's better that it's just women. And the world will live as one. If you cannot see the ways that you as a man look down on women and you as a woman look down on men, there's absolutely no way that you're going to be self-aware and self-critical enough to see the way that you with the gift of faith look down on, on the person that has the gift of healing, the gift of prayer, the gift of building. And if the gift of building is the only thing that somebody with calluses on their pants values, they will have no appreciation for somebody with a gift of faith or counseling. They'll think that the person that's counseling is, 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 a, is a, uh, uh, 
lazy dog. And he's just counseling to avoid the real work of calluses. Do you understand this? If you're not willing to see that there's a pecking order between men and women, and I do not mean by that that you as a woman are to obey every man in the world. No, 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 no. But I do mean that you are to allow him to open the door for you and not feel insulted. And if we can't recognize the ways we're trying to deny the distinctions God has made because he wants to, and we're just falling all over ourselves to, to say that these distinctions are meaningless and superior people who live in Christ no longer see men and women or slave or free or Jew or Greek or black or white or gay or straight. We're all one in Christ. And I've said for years, if that verse is the be-all and end-all of the interpretive grid by which we come to all the specific commands of Scripture, then it will get to the point where nobody will care what body parts you have on the day of your wedding. And I've been saying that for decades. And guess what? When you deny that the husband has authority over his wife, and you deny it decade after decade, and you try not to be sexist, and you try not to have dichotomous ways of thinking, you know, you're going to quickly be at the day where now in the most conservative churches, the new movement is the gay Christian movement. And they're stopping just, just shy of touching. They tell us they won't touch. They say, I'm gay. I'm a gay Christian, but I won't touch. And you see the, the distance we've covered in the last 40 years, right? You, you see it, you know? And now we're supposed to believe that they're going to observe the distinctions of body parts. But of course, by now, every church has given up church discipline. Every church has given up pastoral care. Do you think that if, that if two men in my church are living together and have a joint custody of a child, and they tell me they're not touching, do you think I'm going to ask them whether they're touching? Let alone two women. The body has many parts. There's male, there's female. The body has many parts. There's fat and thin, there's short and tall, there's Asian and American, there's cerebral palsy and cystic fibrosis, there's color blindness, there's leukemia, there's hemophilia, there's widow, there's married, there's single, there's educated and uneducated, and we must stop thinking about what we have and begin to love what other people have. We have to. And if you use your gift to whoop up on other people, I'm going to stop you in your tracks. Why? Not because I'm insecure, but because I hate it when my family fights. And God hates it too. The children he's adopted must not quarrel. And until you recognize the ways that you feel superior to the other people here, every single one of you, 
you're going to keep fighting, and you're going to be worthless to the unity of this church. People, Facebook is never going to help you see your superiority complex. It will just reinforce it. And so we have to begin to love each other. And those of us in positions of authority have to begin to make it painful for you when you whoop up on other people with your superiority complex. Right? Does this all make sense? And let me tell you, they'll stay busy. But how sweet if we begin to see how we don't approve of our husband, we don't approve of our wife, how our children oppress each other. If we begin to see what we see and stop lying to each other, and we begin lovingly to say, and I'm going to use myself as an example because I don't have kids in the home anymore, but I was out helping Mike who was serving me with Aaron, and they're putting up this beautiful, gorgeous steel iron fence over the stairwell. And here are my grandkids, and they're fighting with each other. Can you believe that? That the, the progeny of Lucas and Hannah would actually have sin. And what do you do? You stop them and you say, no, I don't want to hear any argument. And then you add why you don't want to hear any argument, and why is it? Why do you not ever want to allow your children to fight? Why? Well, because these children are a manifestation of the love of you and your wife. How perverse is it when those who exist because you love your wife hate each other? It's awful. Jealous of each other, compete with each other. It's awful. And so you say to them, stop your fighting. I will not tolerate any fighting in my yard. And then you say to them, why? Because I love you. How could you fight when I love you? And that's what Jesus is saying to us. His desire has given us what we are, the position of the body we are, and so we shouldn't diss other people, and we shouldn't walk around going, I'm nothing. We should live confident that his choice, what he's done to us, is perfect. It's beautiful. And as we live in harmony, valuing other people and treating them extra special, those that have fewer gifts and are lower, then what will happen is a glorious beauty will develop. There are a few things uglier than two lesbians loving each other. Two gay men loving each other. It's, it's repulsive. Why? Well, it's not repulsive because I'm a latent homosexual. <laughs> and it's not repulsive because I hate homosexuals. No, no, no. It's repulsive because the body parts don't go together. You are one body, but many parts. God has made the human race one body, many parts. We're supposed to live what God has made us. Because it's a calling from God. It's a calling and we're to fall in love with our calling. And if your calling is to be the appendix, just pray that you don't rupture. I do love you. But don't whoop up on other people here. Don't do it. Don't look down on them. Love them. 
treat them with special honor. And don't keep track of whether or not anybody's treating you with special honor. One last thing and I'm done. There may still be some people here who do not believe that they are a respecter of persons making judgments. You know what it says in James. You may still be convinced that you're the one person here that doesn't need this sermon because there's nobody you look down your nose at. And so I'm going to tell you the next time we have a potluck, just look at who you talk to. But more importantly, look at who you don't talk to. And the person you don't talk to is the person you look down on. And the person you talk to is the person that you look up to. Okay? And every one of you has people you avoid in this church and people that you want their approval. Do you understand me? So don't you tell me that this is not a sin that you have. You have this sin. It's universal. And the next potluck, you go talk to the person, treat with special honor the person you don't want to talk to. And do not even look at the person that you want to talk to. And so at the next potluck, you just watch who comes and talks to you, and you know who looks down on you. Maybe not next potluck. Let's just put a delay on it. <laughs> Maybe this half of the church, next potluck, this half, the, the potluck following. Or better yet, whoever comes up to you, look at them and say, Me? <laughs> I thought I was wonderful. I thought I was special. My grandma told me I'm special. I am special. Now, I hope I've pleased a couple of you who tried to help me do a better job in the second service than the first service. Uh, I appreciate your help. Let's come to the Lord's table and eat.